everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Mike Michalowicz, who is the author of multiple books, including Clockwork, The Pumpkin Plan, and his newest book is entitled Fix This Next. He's also a former columnist for the Wall Street Journal and a former business makeover specialist on MSNBC. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. Oh, Matt, it's a joy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm going to start by diving into the one book, or I'll say one of the books of yours that I didn't mention in the introduction, which is entitled The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, A Guide to Cleaning Up in Business. Let's get it out of the way by just saying that this is high on my list of favorite book titles ever. <laughs> you took listeners back to 2008 when you published the book. What was the aim in putting together the book to share your approach to business? So that was, uh, that was the first book I wrote as an author and saw that it's actually the lack of resources that is our best asset. <clears throat> so when we don't have a, uh, a wealth of cash, we have to be innovative in, in how we move our business forward. When, when we don't have experience in the industry, we got to break the rules of the industry because we don't know otherwise. So it's actually the lack of things that become our greatest asset. Hmm. So that's what the Toilet Paper Entrepreneur is all about. It was my, uh, it got me on the map as an author. Like, you know, it, it was not a blockbuster success, but it built this cult following and it got me a mainstream publishing deal ever since. Hmm. One of the things that has been super interesting for me on the other side of the microphone is to kind of learn how people found their why or, or why they went down the path that they did. Was there a moment in your developmental years where you knew, you know, I want to be an author and this is the stuff that I want to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know the moment. I mean, I know it to the second it was, uh, or to the hour, at least it was about five o'clock at night on February 14th, Valentine's day, 2008. And, uh, I've been an entrepreneur for my entire adult life and had some early wins and got really full of myself. I, I had two exits, two companies acquired. And, uh, I started my third business thinking I was Midas and it, I was a calamity. It was a calamity. The business just collapsed. And on that day, I got that morning, I called for my accountant. That I was going to lose my house, my possessions. I, I couldn't sustain. And um, I had to come home to my family to tell them that news. And I was sobbing. I was crying. And as I was telling my wife, I have three children. My daughter ran to her bedroom to grab her piggy bank. And she ran back to me. She goes, daddy, since you can't provide for us anymore, I'll provide. Hmm. And it was, it was a throat punch. Like I, I was so angry at myself. I was so proud of her. It's just, I realized that I didn't understand entrepreneurship. I had some great fortune and good luck, but I didn't understand the mechanics. And I devoted myself, not in that moment, it was only on reflection. Like to, I went through depression, I started to drink, but in reflection, that moment was a turning point. And I committed to myself to explore all the things I don't know about entrepreneurship, which is most things, and start writing about it. I also found out there's, a, there's an interesting question that's asked, but it's only half of the question that needs to be asked. We're told if we had all the money in the world, what would you do? And I find that, Matt, to be just like, a, it's a great question, but it assumes you need all the money in the world to pursue that dream. 
So we were precluded from doing it. I found there's another question that complements it. And it, it came about during that struggle, that struggle I experienced. And it was when you have no money, what's the vocation you thirst most to do to support yourself, to, to build yourself up? And when the answer is the vocation matches the dream, to me, that's a calling. And I said, you know, I, I always wanted to be an author. I wanted this to be a vocation. Like I want to live this way successfully and be of impact. And that's when I realized I got to do this. This is more than just something I want to do. It's a calling because it's, it's been my dream. And uh, that's when I committed to being an author and have been a full-time author ever since. Wow. So I kind of want to fast forward all the way ahead and then come back there because in your most recent book, you talk, there's a line in there that's the biggest problem entrepreneurs have is that they don't know what their biggest problem is. And I think from learning a little bit about the listeners to this show, we have a mix of entrepreneurs and then we have a mix of corporate professionals as well. So why do you believe we as humans or as professionals are so unable to understand what our biggest problem is? Yeah, because there, there's a constant stream of the apparent. We can walk into our office any given time anywhere and there is more work to be done than we're capable of doing. So we just start going through the list and it's not even necessarily that well organized. It's just whatever uh, has the greatest fire behind it is usually what we address. And uh, I, you know, it, it's, we become firefighters effectively and maybe, maybe we scale and that we bring on some employees that we're managing or if we own a business, we hire some folks and we, we stop becoming, a, we stop being a firefighter, but now we're just simply the fire chief. So the problem is focusing on the apparent to the direct neglect of the impactful. And at any given time in our lives or in the business that we manage or the business that we own, at any given time, there can only be one most impactful thing that needs to be done, one thing that will really serve the business. So the question is, what is it? And that's why I write about in the book is how to find it. Once you know what the one thing is, you fix it. And then the next most important thing will present itself and you'll fix that. This stops that hamster wheel of putting out fires and starts progressing us toward the vision or the plan that we have. Hmm. Nail the impactful, uh, don't focus on the apparent. So if we're in that stage where we feel like we're putting out a ton of fires, what is the best first step to start to say, okay, I at least can remove some of these as knowing that they're not the most impactful. What if we have a little bit of analysis paralysis where we can't even dive in to figuring out what the biggest problem is because the whole pursuit of finding what the biggest problem is, is just another thing to add to our to-do. Right. List. Another to-do. Yeah. I think the first thing we got to realize it's like, the, like a 12 step program is first you got to admit you have a problem. Hmm. Um, that was tough for me to acknowledge. I, I carried the badge of workaholism as a badge of honor, not a badge of shame. And my wake up call, I remember one particular day, actually one particular week, I was coming to the office before the sun would rise and as leaving after the sun was set, I didn't see light. I didn't see light for almost a full week. And I remember saying to myself, that um, th this is this is really compromised my life. That that my my life is really around supporting business as opposed to business supporting life. I had to admit I had a problem. I, I call it the survival trap. And I think the real quick way to get there 
is just look at your history over the last year. And if you want to go longer, go longer. But simply over the last year, if the work you're doing uh, has kept you in the same spot, you've proven that the hustle and grind and do everything focus is not serving you. This means we have a problem. Once you know you have a problem, then we can focus on what's the way out. And the way out is, I found there's a common DNA for all businesses, regardless if you're managing a business, you're a professional or you're an executive, or if you're an entrepreneur or business owner, that there's a common DNA of all size businesses from the, the mighty Amazon down to the micro enterprise of one. And once we acknowledge we have a problem in doing everything, then the question is, what's the one thing that the business needs from us or from me to focus on and concentrate our energy on? Uh, it's, I call it the business hierarchy of needs. There's five levels to it. Uh, and we focus on, but well, we understand what level we're at and we focus our energy there. The one thing I want to point out is this is simply a concentration of energy. It's not a either or. I think that's where people also get lost saying, well, if I'm not doing everything, I commit to one thing. What about all those other things I left behind? No, it's just a reallocation of energy. So once we identify the one vital need the business has, we concentrate our efforts there. The first thing we do in the morning when we get to work for the first hour, is we focus on that vital need. Of course, those other issues still exist and we, we address them, but they're now secondary to it. We keep on chipping away at the vital need until it's permanently resolved. Then we identify the next vital need while maintaining the other elements too. So it's, it's a concentration of energy. It's not an exclusive either or. I'm a bit curious. We've talked a little bit about the beginning, that very powerful story. And then now we've talked a little bit about the final book that you've written or the most recent book that you've written. Was there a defining moment in the middle where you felt I've actually gotten to where I want to go now? It's about benefiting from all of the hard work and taking it to the next level. Was there an actionable moment or decision or something that happened where you felt like you weren't done with this pursuit? We never are, but you felt more comfortable and confident that you had made a decision. Yeah. Thanks for saying, cause I, uh, I was thinking initially, no, it's, it's, it ain't done yet, but you're right. The pursuit's not done. When did the comfort level kick in? You know, for me, probably my second book, so what I realized was interesting was I, I released my second book. It's called The Pumpkin Plan. And now I was with the mainstream publisher. And um, two things happened in, in near uh, synchronicity. One was a company reached out to me and said, we want to use this as our intellectual property. How much can we pay you for this IP? Um, so that was a big realization that there was value beyond just selling books to readers. And if you're an author in the nonfiction genre, this is true in fiction too, you make about $3 a book. So it's, it, you, to make money, you gotta serve millions and sell millions if you wanna make millions. But now I had a company offering something that was a significant multiple, and I saw that there was, there was now value in the book beyond just the purchase of books by customers, but those customers may want to hire <clears throat> a company to take them further, and that company would pay me. The second thing was I got my first royalty check. That was super cool where uh, I got money up front, it's called an advance. But then my publisher said, hey, uh, here's your royalty check. And it was like, it was real money. Like it, it covered the rent for a few months and it, 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 was, it was significant. And it's like, oh, this works. That, that was the confirmation that I was on a path that was viable. 
um, truly viable into perpetuity, at least from my perception. Mm. And um, that's when I really doubled down on what I was doing. I was committed to it, but it was a little bit like you, you hear creatives, these painters and these other people are making these wonderful projects, but they're not making money. They're hand to mouth. And they have to have a second job. After I wrote my first book, it wasn't like, oh, I'm living on easy street now. It's like, you know, my, actually my wife and I had that hard conversation, which is if you're an entrepreneur, it's actually the most difficult words to hear. My wife said, Mike, you need to get a job. Uh, if you have a job, that's not a bad thing. But when you're an entrepreneur who devotes themselves to, or devotes their lives to uh, the freedom of not having to work for someone else to hear that's like a stab to the heart. Hmm. But that was the conversation. Once I got my second book out, um, the conversation was with my wife was like, wow, this is what you're meant to do. And it's working. It's supporting us. Go baby go. Uh, it was good to hear from that, hear that from my best friend. One thing that really intrigues me is you were described recently as having an ardent following because you are funny, honest, and provide actionable insight. And I guess I have two questions off of that. Why do you believe humor is so important and how can leaders leverage humor with their teams to complement the honesty and their action plans? Yeah, humor, I think, is a powerful tool. It's disarming. Um, it, it takes away the expectation for perfection for, of others. You know, I, I, I've been in meetings and stuff like this where the, the boss is very authoritative and this is what we expect and, and everyone's trying to fall in line. And there's a fear if I slip out or fall out of line at all that I'm compromised in some capacity. When there's human, humor and there's levity, it, it removes that expectation of perfection, I think. The, the second thing is it's, it's the great humanizing tool. When, when someone cracks a joke, it's like, oh, they're, they're a regular person too. I remember I saw Lou Holtz speak recently. He was the coach for Notre Dame football and uh, moved on to do other amazing things in college football. And uh, he did a speech and I'm sitting there and uh, I'm, in, I'm in the front row for this. And so there's a sense of intimidation when this guy walks out who looks admittedly a little bit like Yoda, same height, same look, but just a human version of Yoda. And he comes out and he starts out with this joke and it's a gut buster and another joke and share some tips and advice and another joke, self-deprecating in particular. That humor humanized him. It allowed me to absorb what he was teaching. It wasn't something that was for people with this special super talent. He made that knowledge accessible because even quote unquote, he could do it because he had, he had uh, humanized himself through self-deprecation, that, that form of humor. I think that's critical. And, and so my books, I try to use humor and resonates with some people. Some other people think I'm not funny. And I totally get it. And I believe in self-deprecation. So I think it humanizes us and then it allows the reader to consume the, the content more comfortably, to, to trust it more actually. One thing that a good deal of our guests have talked about is their organizational approaches to kind of ensure that they can excel in all facets of their lives. You're, you're somebody who's working on many different things. And I actually noticed a post on your website that, that referenced quick ways to get an energy boost. And one of which was play a game to refocus your attention. Can you talk about how you think about structuring your day for peak energy? Yeah, uh, I'll even tell you the game we did. So, uh, you know, first of all, I totally believe that our physical health dictates our performance. I, I think that's undeniable. So 
the first thing every day is a commitment to physical health. So I, I, I wake up 5.15, 5.30 every morning and uh, I will be working out for an hour or so every day. The, and, and by the way, I don't, li- I don't like it. People are like, oh, you like to work out? Like you like to go for a run? You like to lift weights? No, I don't. <laughs> I really don't. I just love the way it makes me feel for the rest of the, the time of the day. The other thing too is I, I do the most uh, vital need that my business has in the morning. So I'll be done working and exercising um, everything by 8 a.m. I'll have the, the days done, which I think for many folks, that's the day when the day starts. So there's a sense of accomplishment um, that the hard stuff is taken care of and then I can take care of the rest of the stuff. But I also move in small batches. Like I, I, can, I can sprint, but I'm really bad at marathons. So when it comes to writing, you know, I write for 25 minutes, I'll take a break. Uh, I'll write for 25 more minutes and take a break. Here at the office, we, we're, we're closed right now due to COVID, so everyone's working from home. But when we're assembled together, we have what's called library hours. And the idea is there's a, there's a block of time, it's, instead of doing 25 minutes, we actually do an hour, where no one's on the phone, you're not allowed to look at email, you're working on your most important project. And then we take a break, but a collective break. So the group will come together and we'll do a quick game or something. The most recent thing we did, we, we called it bumper chairs. All of us came to the center. We have like a kind of center meeting area in our building. So we all sat there and uh, to get back to your desk, everyone actually goes in different directions. So the game was you had to get, you had to roll back to your desk in your chair, but you had to be the first one there and you were allowed to block and hold other people. So it became this ridiculous bumper chairs. We actually have it on video. Uh, one of our colleagues, her name is Amy, in total tears from laughter. She's laughing so hard because she's inches away from touching her desk and winning and people are holding her and pulling her off her chair. It was just ridiculous fun. I think one thing that's a little bit fascinating to me, and you don't need to pull the curtain back um, too, too much, but what are you the most curious about right now in your arena or outside your arena? So you don't need to pull the curtain back and just tell me what your next book is going to be, but what's, what's the thing that's really interesting you right now? Uh, iridescence in butterflies. <laughs> uh, so here's what's so fascinating is, so I'm working on a book on being different. So that does start the general domain I'm studying. And I go down these different pathways I would never expect. For uh, the last three, four days, I've been studying how specific butterflies generate color, like that iridescent color, and they don't do it through pigmentation. It's, it's basically little reflectors within their wings that breaks up light. Well, there's a thing called biomimicry where you can take this and translate it into the development of televisions and stuff like that. It's just, to me, it's fascinating. And what I love about it is a week ago, I would have never thought of talking about butterfly iridescence. I didn't even know what that term is. Um, and then today, I've been, you know, I've devoted like five or 10 hours of research into it. And the beautiful thing is next week, it's going to be something new, which I have no idea what it is. It, it satisfies this curiosity I have. And it's like, the, to me, it's great exploration. Because it's stuff I would never, ever plan to study. It just, as I'm working on my research, uh, these questions come up. And this one, like, you know, how do, how do brilliant colors, how are they made in nature was my question. I was just going to say, at the, uh, at the onset of 
our conversation, I never would have thought that butterflies would be where I would make the transition to our final two rapid fire questions that we <laughs> all guess. But that is a thought provoking way to pitch me the opportunity to say our first rapid fire question is this, Mike. Um, what if you had to describe your leadership style in one word, what would it be? Uh, embracing. And the final rapid fire question that we ask all of our guests is what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Trust wallets, not words. It was uh, for my business mentor, my, my first ever. And uh, I was telling him, I was creating a new product. And I said, what do you think? And he goes, well, he goes, first of all, my thoughts are irrelevant. That was a great insight. He's like, I'm an expert in helping grow businesses. I'm not your customer. And the customer's always the expert in consumption. So that was a good realization. Then he said, but don't trust their words, trust their wallets. Prospects will tell you, oh, that idea is great. It's fantastic. I'd buy that in a heartbeat. And then they don't. And they do that because it's socially appropriate. You avoid conflict. If, if they said, oh, your idea sucks, now they're in conflict with me. So it's better to say it's great. I would definitely buy that. And you're being supportive. But ultimately, people speak the truth through their wallets. If I, and what I do now is if I have a new idea, I'll say, hey, I'm working on this idea. Would you be willing to put down a deposit right now? And that's where the real truth comes out. If they depart with money, they believe in it. If they don't, don't depart with money, they don't believe in the idea. Well, thank you for the time and thank you for all the great insight. Where can our listeners find out more about you, Mike? At mikemotorbike.com. So it's actually mikemichalowitz.com, but no one can spell that name. So my nickname in high school was Mike Motorbike. So if you go to mikemotorbike.com, uh, you'll see chapter downloads from all my books. I have a podcast there too. I actually have a brand new one I'm releasing. And I used to write for the Wall Street Journal so you can get those articles. It's all at mikemotorbike.com for free. Well, thanks for the butterflies. Thanks for all the great insight. This has been an absolute pleasure. And thanks to all our listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Learn to Lead Podcast. And you can find our organization, Ability, that is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E at Ability.com. And be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead Podcast.